a little later on in our lesson, I'm going to give you some handouts here that will be uh, dealing with some of the scriptures that we're going to be looking at here in a few moments. But uh, I want you to look with us at verse 18. Now, last week, uh, we talked to you about the verses that are from 15 down through 17, particularly those verses. And it was about the gospel of Jesus Christ and that salvation is to everyone that believeth. I'm reading here from the 16th verse. To everyone that believeth, uh, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. And then we went on and talked about from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And we talked to you a little bit about that in the scripture that, that's taken from in Habakkuk and why Habakkuk had asked God, you know, some things. And the Lord said, the just shall live by faith, Habakkuk. And that's been handed down to us today. And it is true. We are saved by faith and we are also, we live for God by faith. In other words, you believe the word of God, basically. It doesn't mean nothing else matters. It's not like a thing in your mind only, but it means that you accept what God's word teaches. Praise the Lord. And God's word, amen, involves actions. Repent, be baptized, you know, be filled with the spirit. Uh, walk in holiness and righteousness and love and the grace of God and so forth. Those things are all our actions of faith, acts of faith. So it's keeping the faith, praise the Lord. Going to church is an act of faith. You go to church because you believe God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How can we hear lest there be a preacher and how can he be, how can he preach lest he be sent? So if we go to church, we hear the word of God preached and our faith is increased. The more you're in church, the more your faith is increased. Praise the Lord. So the just shall live by his faith. And so these scriptures, of course, give us strength in our walk with God and serving him. Now, today I'm going to flip the coin over because it's what Paul does. Starting in chapter 18, he doesn't talk about the being saved and the righteous being saved. He talks about the wrath of God. So is everybody with me now? And we're going to get into some interesting things here. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all, all. If you've got your Bibles, put a circle around the word all. <clears throat> the wrath of God is revealed, against, uh, revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. Unrighteousness and ungodliness, rather, and unrighteousness. You say, well, what's the difference, Brother Myers? Ungodliness, unrighteousness, you know, they're, you know, they're both sinful things, right? Uh, there's a little difference there. I'm going to see if I can sort of help us to understand the difference between ungodly. People who are ungodly have rejected God's word and God's commandment and God's truth, knowingly that it is of God. Ungodly. In other words, I don't choose God, I choose this way. I don't choose God, I choose ungodliness. Okay. Unrighteousness is more doing what is against what you know to be right, whether it is of God or whether it is your conscience or whatever it is. But if you are ungodly, amen, you do the things that are against God. It goes back a little bit to the thing about uh, where they asked Jesus, uh, what's the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then Jesus added this, the second commandment is likened unto this, love your neighbor as yourself, okay? And then the guy that he said that to scratched his head and said, oh, my Lord, and that is all the law and the prophets. And Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of heaven. You got it right there. 
if you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then you love your neighbor as yourself, you're fulfilling the law and the prophets. And there's, I think, uh, there's, what, 1,300 different laws of the Old Testament. Uh, so I'm just pointing out to you here all of these, these uh, things, praise the Lord, that Jesus spoke unto them about that if they would do. It's the same thing about the Ten Commandments. The first four of the Ten Commandments is all about our relationship with God. Love, you know, about uh, do not have another image before you. Uh, you do not take his name in vain. Everything is our relationship with God. Four, the first four Ten Commandments. And then starting in the Fifth Commandment, is to honor your mother and father, which is our first commandment with our relationship with people on earth, that your days may be long on the earth. Let me just say this. Be good to your mom and dad. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That your days may be long on the earth. I just leave that where it is. But then you go on from that, you know, and don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't bear false witness. The other uh, six commandments, starting with the fifth one, and then you go all the way through chapter 10, is our relationship with one another. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that's just the Ten Commandments alone. Uh, you can read the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is all about, mostly it's about our relationship with God. It's really wonderful. You read Proverbs, it's more like our relationship with each other. How to get along in this life, how to treat other people, uh, how to, you know, how to uh, function well in this life because we have to get along with each other. Uh, but but when you read Psalms, it's more to do with our relationship with God, how much we love him and walk with him and how he deals with us and so forth. So uh, I'm just telling you that so that you understand here that there's a little slight difference here. And this is according to the gospel of Myers here. <laughs> so if you have a different opinion, that's okay. That's, I don't, I don't, uh, but let me just show you, let me show you a couple of verses. Well, you're there in Romans chapter one, look in chapter two. Verse 14, let me show you this to sort of show you what I'm talking about when we talk about uh, the uh, righteousness, unrighteousness rather. Ungodliness is against God, unrighteousness more against our fellow man and uh, the things that we know within our own selves what's right or wrong. Look at uh, chapter 2 of Romans and verse 14. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. And verse 15 explains how that is. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, their conscience. So we have a conscience that tells us what's right and wrong. And their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. So here gives us a little idea here about these things here that, that is our conscience that tells us what's right or wrong. Uh, let me go to another verse of scripture here in St. John chapter 8. I'm going to just refer here. St. John chapter 8 is where a woman was caught in adultery and brought before Jesus. And verse 3 says, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. This is 8.3 I'm reading. And they threw out her out in the middle of it there. And then they said in verse 5, I'm skipping, skipping on down to save time. It says, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What, but what sayest thou? All right, number one, they knew that they could not stone her because it was against the Roman law. The Roman law was higher than the Jewish law. And the Pharisees and Sadducees resented the Roman 
law being over them and they wanted their Messiah to come and throw off the Roman government and get back to Moses' law. And so they were saying to Jesus, now how can we fulfill Moses' law when this Roman law is hanging on us and so forth? The only reason they could execute somebody is because the Romans would give them permission to do it. That's why Jesus was executed because Pilate gave the Jews the permission to do it. I find no fault in him. Take him and execute him or take him and crucify him. What a sentence, the most, the most perverted sentence in the world. I find no fault in him, take him and crucify him. You know, that was what they said about Jesus. I'm gonna go ahead on with my thought here. But anyhow, now in Moses' law, command, command us that such a one should be stoned. This is what these men are saying to Jesus. And so Jesus wrote in the sand. He never said a word. He wrote in the sand. They all stand there looking at him. Verse 7 says, so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said to them, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And, that, and so first cast the stone at her. And then he reached down and started writing again. Never said another word. That was it. And look at verse 9. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience. You see the word conscience there. Convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the least. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And he said to her, woman, where are thou accused? And she said, there are none, Lord. He said, neither do I accuse thee. He said, go and sin no more. He forgave her because he was God, and he could do that. He forgave her of her sins. So anyhow, this is a, a little example here of how that these men, because of they had the conscience that told them what they should do and what they should not do. And in the end of the world, there will be those who will be judged by what they knew was right and what they knew was wrong. Praise the Lord. This, I'm talking to you here about righteousness and unrighteousness. For instance, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 25 for a moment. Just Matthew 25. Uh, this is where Jesus is talking about uh, at the end of the world, verse 31 says, when, Je when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit on the, upon the throne of his glory. And then all nations shall be gathered unto him, verse 32. Verse 33, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left hand. All right, this is where he separates the sheep from the goats. Not real sheep and not real goats. These are people. And, uh, and he goes on to say, uh, verse 34, then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he goes on to say in verse 35, for I was hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me and I was sick. And you visited me, I was in prison and you came unto me. And then the righteous shall say in verse 37, then they, they shall answer him saying, Lord, when saw we like this? And then they name all these things. We don't remember ever seeing you like this. This is the righteous now standing before God. And then verse 40, and the king shall answer them and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least, unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Do you understand what we're saying here? So when you treat your fellow man right, in a sense you are fulfilling conscience, you are doing the thing that is right, and you are doing the things that God honors. Now, the Bible tells us that uh, blessed and holy are they that's in the first resurrection. Our message today is to be in the rapture. Our message is to be in the rapture. 
To be in the rapture, you've got to repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, and be filled with his spirit. And that's just as clear as it can be. The Bible says, without his spirit, we're none of his. If that spirit that dwelt in Christ dwell in you, it shall also, I'm quoting here from Romans 8, uh, 11, I think it is. Uh, if that spirit that is in Christ dwell in you, it shall also quicken your mortal body. That's to be in the rapture. And then the Bible says that the rest of the dead live not until the thousand years of peace was over. So the next major thing to happen is the rapture of the church. And our gospel is to get people ready for the rapture. Praise the Lord. And folks, if you're ready for the rapture, we do not yet know how we shall appear, but we shall be like him. Jesus is our example. He is the first fruits of the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church. We do not yet know how we shall appear. We'll be like him. We'll be joint heirs with Christ. I'm talking about the man Christ Jesus. A glorified body like as unto his glorified body we'll have. Praise the Lord. And so when the rapture takes place, in a moment, the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. Praise the Lord. And we'll go up. And then we'll go into that wonderful heavenly abode that God has prepared. That your eye cannot see, my eye cannot see, we cannot behold, is beyond us. I'll talk about some other things like that in a few moments. But I am trying to say here today, be ready for the rapture. But there is a mass multitude of people that just trip and try to do the best they can in whatever world that they're in. And at the end of the world, God will separate the sheep from the goat and he will judge those that have tried to do the right thing according to God. He's the judge, not me or not you. Uh, somebody asked me, my grandmother was this way and that way. Uh, do you think she went to heaven? And I said, I'm not her judge. <laughs> don't even put me there. You know, don't even... And, and, and I don't even try to, I don't try to explain anything like that. I just know this, that the Lord has instructed us that we need to be baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, and we need to repent of our sins, of course, and we need to live an overcoming life. That's why the Holy Ghost is given to us. So you can live a righteous and holy life before the Lord. Praise the Lord. But righteousness within itself may just help to help us, you know, to get through life but we need the Holy Ghost, amen, to be ready for the coming of the Lord. And that's where we are. Let me just say this. I, I, I feel like sometimes we don't understand what God is giving us. We have the greatest reward that God will ever give anyone in the human race on the face of the earth. And that's what the church is all about. This is why that the Lord uh, values you and I. And I'll show you a scripture here in a moment. He said in one place, like for instance... Uh, they said, when have we done all this unto thee? This I'm reading here in the 20th verse. And in so much as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. If somebody treats you kindly, God favors them because they treated you good. Because you're very special to the Lord. Praise the Lord. And what a great reward. That's why, folks, don't lose what you have. Don't lose it. Go to church. Be faithful in the house of God. And when you come to church, worship God. Two things, be thankful and praise him. Be thankful and worship God. Praise the Lord. Be thankful for everything. You say, I'm thankful I live in America. That's only part of it. Thankful for your family. Thankful for your wife or your husband. Thankful for your children. Thankful for your grandchildren. Thankful for the automobile you drive, the home you live in. Thankful for the church we have, the building. Thankful for the congregation that we're in fellowship with. Thankful for the nice pews we have. Thankful, praise the Lord, for the good pastor and the leadership of this church. 
I'm, I'm serious. But be thankful. Praise the Lord. And this is a very important thing. And I'll show you in the scriptures in a minute here where the, that one generation messed up because they were never thankful for what God had done for them. Let me move on here very quickly. Uh, I, I just want to uh, point out to you here again in, uh, over here in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 1. I'm going back to what we originally looked at here. Because that, uh, that which be known of God is manifest. Let me read verse 18 again. I'm 118 now in Romans. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them. Praise the Lord. There's things that are known to the sinner and to the unsaved, the ungodly, the unrighteous. There's things known to them. Praise the Lord that that can help them to know that there is a mighty God and there's a God who loves them and there's a God who cares about them. Praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, I want you to look in Acts uh, 14, 16. This is one of Paul's messages and he's preaching here. Uh, let me get the right verse here. All right. He's preaching here in a little town called Lystra. This is Acts 14. I'm reading verse 16. Verse 6 says he's in this town of Lystra. Paul's preaching here in the 16th verse. In the middle of his preaching, he says, Who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without a witness in that he, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. So that even the sinner is without excuse. He can say, God, you're just good to me. I got food. This ground grows food. I got water to drink. You know, I got clothes on my back and whatever, you know. Everybody should be thankful for the very basic thing that there's a God who is good to us so that we are without excuse. Amen. And uh, moving on here a little further, this is, we're in, uh, in Acts here, if you turn over a few verses a little further. Uh, look at Acts 17, if you would. Acts 17. We're in Acts 14 there. This is where he's preaching at Mars Hill. In the times of this ignorance, verse 30. This is uh, 1730 of Acts. 1730. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. In other words, this of not being, uh, not being saved, and God winked at that. Because he hath appointed the day in which he would judge the world in righteousness. So because God's going to judge the world now, he calls all men under repentance to repent, and that they may come unto him, and that they might be saved. Praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, look in uh, Ephesians uh, 2 and 1 for just a moment. Ephesians 2 and 1. This is what God has done for us. See, God has, has given them a limited knowledge. The world has a limited knowledge of God. But you and I who walk with God, God has given us an extended knowledge of him because we walk with him. You see, if you live in the world, you know, you say, well, God's given us food. He's given us you know, rain. He's given us blessings. I, you know, I can thank God. But when you become a saved person, your knowledge and your understanding of God is more extensive. It's not limited. 
And here's what the scripture says here in Ephesians 2.1. I'm reading 2.1 uh, and, and, and 2. And you hath he quickened who are, were dead in trespass and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's, the where, that's where you were. Now I'm reading, pick it up in verse 4 to save time. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. That means that we did not earn it. He just gave it to us. Praise the Lord. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Folks, appreciate our worship. Heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How many of you have been in church and you've just felt the presence of God come over you from time, maybe not last week or sometime like maybe this month, but you have done in times past. Just raise your hand. You have just, there's a lot of hands there and, I, and you, we all have, but we just feel the presence of God. God just speaking to us, just, just talking to us. And when you do something that's not quite right, God will deal with you about it. It's just, he will. You know, he loved it. The Bible says we are judged daily. We won't be judged at the end of the world. You know, all right, we're going to separate the sheep from there. We're judged daily. That's why you don't get away with anything. That's why I can't get away with anything. There's been a couple of times whenever I let a little thing slide, you know. Somebody overpaid me on a job one time. I let it slide, but God wouldn't let me get away with it, you know. I had to go make it right with a guy and give it, said, you overpaid me, here's the money. I, you know, it, it, it sort of slid along that way for maybe a couple of weeks. God kept waking me up, said, you've got to get that thing right. You know? And he'll bug you and me because he loves us. One of our brothers was telling us uh, here, telling me, brother, not long ago, that a stranger, a stranger asked him for some information and he deliberately and purposely gave the stranger some false information. Yeah, it was one of our brothers. He said that night he woke up in the middle of the night and God dealt with him. He had to get down by his bed and pray and pray over it. And he said to me, Brother Martin, is that really, is that wrong? I said, you better believe it is in the Bible. <laughs> and I gave him a subscription for it. I said, yes, it is. It's in that Old Testament. What I'm trying to say here is that he wasn't aware that it was that big a deal, but it was and God wouldn't let him get away with it, and he doesn't let you get away with things because he loves us, folks, and that's what we have going for us, if I can say it that way. You, yeah, you do something wrong. You come to church, and you, have, you say, you know what? God keeps bugging me about that. Well, thank God. Thank God. You know, I, can't even, I go to church, and it seems like I, I, I can't get past this thing. Well, praise God. Amen. Just say, Jesus, I surrender it all to you. I won't do that no more. I promise you I will do that, whatever it is, you know. I'm just trying to say here, folks, that the love of God toward us who are the body of Christ is a powerful and a wonderful thing. And with that comes that, you know, chastisement. Praise the Lord. The Lord's saying, you know, you got to do it this way and that way. So if you ever feel that way, don't think God's mad at you. God's just trying to, he's just tapping you on the hand like that, you know. No, 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 you got to straighten it out. you got to do it right because he loves us, because we are his children, praise the Lord. And one of these days, he's going to take us all home to be in glory with him, praise the Lord. And so we'll forever be with him. 
And so it says here, by the grace are you saved. Did I read all this? Verse 6, and have raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places. Worship services, value our worship services. What a wonderful thing that we can sit together in heavenly places. That's what the Bible calls it. Our worship is called heavenly places uh, in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, I'm still reading here from uh, Ephesians 2 and now verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. So the wonderful love of God and the mercy of God is a wonderful and great and gracious thing. One other verse of scripture that just to tie it together is found in Romans 8. And this is verse 14. It's similar, very similar. Uh, I'm going to read these few verses, 14 through 17. And this is a confirmation. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye are not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. That the Holy Ghost does not make you fear. It takes away from us fear. Well, what a wonderful thing that is. Because if you don't know God, you can fear a lot of things. But he takes away that spirit of fear. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The adoption is that we are going to be one day have a heavenly body. I won't go into detail on that. We will when we get to this chapter 8 in Romans later on sometime in our studies. Look at verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So what we have is a great, wonderful hope and a wonderful promises that God has given us in his word. Now I'm going back to Romans chapter 1 for a moment. I want you to look at the verse uh, 20 here. Look at verse 20. The Bible here says, for he has showed it unto them, this last part of 19, 120 here of Romans, for the invisible things of him, things you can't see, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, being understood that are things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. He's talking about the ungodly and the unsaved. They're without excuse because God has shown it unto them. How, Brother Myers? By showing them the things that exist and that they can see the handiwork of God in that. Praise God. You see, the Lord made all things, and you can see it. It's, it's there. It's created. Uh, there's a couple of scriptures here that I'm going to read to you. The one that's found over in Psalms 19, 1, 2, and 3. Psalms 19, 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. When you look up there, you say, man, look at all that God made. You say, oh, I don't believe there's a God. Bang. You know, how stupid can we? And yet there are people that say, oh, I'm an, I'm an infant. I'm an atheist. I don't how did all that get there? And somebody had to put it there. Amen. Amen. That's, what this, that's what the Bible is telling us. That's what it tells us over in the Romans. For the invisible things of him are from creation, the things you can't see. We don't see God. We don't see the angels. We don't see heaven. There's a lot of things we don't see. But we understand because we, we have things we do see, things we do see. I'm not going to go into detail on this, but uh, I, I was in my, out on my patio that one day, and I looked at these flowers growing, and these plants, and I was studying them, just looking at them. And I noticed how that one plant 
did something weird. Just on its own. It just acted weird. It just grew and it just grew weird. It was a pink lady. Pink lady plant. Some of you ladies know what that is. It was, you know, it couldn't grow up because it was choked, so it started growing sideways. Then it turned up. It got out from under the umbrella of all the others so it could get sunlight and all that stuff. Did that thing have a brain to know how to do that? And uh, brother, uh, one of our brothers over there, and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trim this one back. You know, I'm going to put a stake on it, brother. Put a stake on it and just kept on going up like that. A little, little thin stem, that stake. It just kept going on and going up. But when you take the stake away, it falls over because it can't hold it up. But the ones you don't put a stake with, they fall over, then they turn up. <laughs> and then they keep falling over and turning up, and they just make a forest. They make a, you have two or three plants, next thing you know, you've got a whole bunch of them all together. How did all that happen? It's the wisdom of God that's been put in those plants, folks, and it's in everything. In plants, it's in animals. You know, them little birds with them little tiny head, little tiny brains, they know how to take care of their babies. They know they sit on them eggs. How, long, how, how do they know to sit on them eggs? They do it. They hatch out. They know how to feed them. They know what to feed them. They know how to teach them to fly. You know, get on their wings and fly, you know, all that. You've heard stories about it. I'm just trying to tell you here that God has put it in all of the nature, all in the heavens, everywhere, so that man is without excuse. There's got to be a God somewhere. Uh, there's a story that's found in Josephus. It's not found in the Bible, but it's about Abraham. Abraham was from the city of Ur in the land of the Chaldeans. God called him out of Ur, 2000 BC, and brought him over into Palestine and said, I'll make you a, make you a, a new nation. You shall be a special people to me, and this is your new land, and so forth. All right, Josephus says, and this is not in the Bible, so it, you know, it's history. It's Jewish history. It's what's considered Jewish history. And Josephus, the writer of Jewish history, he lived, uh, he lived in the first century, the time of the early church. But uh, Josephus writes that Abraham, when he was young, used to see men building idols in Ur. And they would worship idols. And they would say, this is an idol to the moon. This is an idol to the sun. This is an idol to, uh, to uh, morning star, evening star, uh, which is, you know, which is one of the planets and so on, Venus. The even star and morning star is the same planet as Venus. Anyhow, they said this or that and so on and so forth. They all had it all figured out. And Abraham said, and this is what Josephus said, Abraham said, no, that cannot be the case because if each one of these heavenly bodies was separate and a separate individual God, they'd all do their own thing. They'd run into each other. They'd do one thing this way. Nothing would be in harmony. But the whole universe is in harmony. The whole world's in harmony. We have 365 days. You know, we got four seasons. You know, we got all, we got 24 hours in the day, you know, whatever, give or, give or take a few minutes, seconds, whatever. We got all this stuff together and everything. And this is all harmonious. Therefore, there has to be one God. So he started stating one God, and then did God appear to him? This is what Joseph said. God appeared to him and said, Abraham, you know, I want you to come out of the people and bring your family and so forth. And that's how it all started. So I'm just trying to point out to you here that God, praise the Lord, 
uh, spoke to him after he had realized there had to be one God overall. Uh, when I, were, I was a, a young man in Bible school in St. Paul, Minnesota years ago, uh, this is in the early 50s, first half of the 50s decade, uh, there was a Japanese preacher who came from Tokyo, Japan, to our church, to the church there in St. Paul, and spoke to us and so forth. And uh, he had been a Christian apostolic preacher all through World War II in Tokyo, in Tokyo. And he went through a lot of persecution because in, in Japan, the religion there is Shintoism. Shintoism is a belief that of ancestor worship and the emperor is one of the gods and all that kind of stuff. And so if you're not a Shintoist, or some of them are Buddhist, or, or some of them are Taoist, or whatever their belief, Taoism, you know, is the yin and the yang, you know, the two, the two balls that chase each other, you know. Korean airline, anybody familiar with that? They got the emblem, you know, got the red, and they got the blue, and the, yeah. That's the yin and the yang, that's supposed to be evil and good, you know, fighting and so forth. I won't go into that, but that's Taoism. But what I am trying to point out to you here is that this man, if, when he was young, before, even before World War II started, he was trying to find God, and he gave up looking for God. And Brother, Ma, Brother Marah told a story himself to us. He said, I got in a skiff boat, and I put a concrete block in the boat, and I took a rope and tied it around the concrete block and put a noose on it and put it around my neck. And I rowed out in the middle of Tokyo Bay. And I was going to throw the block over and go over with it. And that'd be the end of me. And he said, I was just saying, I, I don't know what life's all about. I'm, I'm unhappy. I'm miserable. And when he got out in the middle of that Tokyo Bay, he said, just before he did it. He, I don't think he had put the rope on yet. He just let it in. He's fixing to put it on. He said, I decided to pray. And he said, I lifted my hands and I said, God, I don't know if there is a God and I don't know who you are and I don't know where you are and I don't know how to find you. But if there is a God and you know and you're listening to me, have mercy on me and just let me know something. And he says, all of a sudden he felt something come all over him. I feel the Holy Ghost is talking about. All of a sudden he said, I felt the Holy Ghost, the presence of God come all over me. And he said, I heard, and it was almost like the Lord spoke to my heart, seek me and you shall find me. He said, my Lord, what am I doing? Took the rope off, threw it down, took the block and the rope, threw it in the bay, turned the boat around and went back to shore. He said, I'm going to find out who this God is. And he went looking and searching. And when he went to a Pentecostal missionary service, apostolic Jesus name, Holy Ghost filled, just a little small church there. He said, I got there and I started praying and he said, the Holy Ghost that I felt came all over me and I said, this is it. And they showed him the Bible and the teachings and he said, I went from there and he became their leader in times as time went on. And in the times in the early 50s after World War II was over with, church had grown, he had established Bible schools and so forth. I only tell you that because God, praise the Lord, can speak to our hearts, he can speak to our souls, he can lead us and he can guide us folks. And it's a wonderful thing that God is able to take care of us and look after us. But his eternal power and Godhead is revealed to all of them. But if you seek God and you get close to God, God will reveal himself greater to us. Greater to us if you want to know the Lord. Nobody has to go without knowing God.
Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to hand you these out very quickly here. The Bible says, so that they are without excuse. That last, last line there in verse 20. Uh, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power God had so that they are without excuse. Now, I want to hand these handouts with you very quickly here. I know our time is getting away. And this is what I'm going to be showing you here. So, brethren, if you'll get it. Let me get a focus here. Automatic focus. Okay, there we go. This is Romans 1, 21 and 23. Everybody see that? And you'll be given one of these right now. You pass them out very quickly, brother. Just hand them out very quickly because our time is getting away. And I want to touch base with you here on a few things. Now, I'm starting here in uh, Romans uh, verse 21, chapter 1. And this deals, if you'll look at uh, these verses right here, Romans 1, 21 through 23. Where my pen's laying there. And this is what we're looking at. Everybody got a copy? God bless you, brethren. Amen. Now, this one here has got a lavender look, and some of you have got a blue or another color. It's all right. It's just a different printer, different printing machine printed some of the others. But the, everything else is the same. And if you look at the very first one, I'm going to read here from the 21st verse. Because of when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. You notice that? When they knew God, they glorified him not as God or were thankful. If you got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me very quickly over here to Genesis, way over here in Genesis. And this 11th chapter of Genesis, 11th chapter of Genesis, I'm just going to refer here to it. Uh, this is talking about after Noah's, Noah and his family had all landed from the ark and so forth, in the fourth generation... In other words, uh, Noah's three sons, you know, Sham, Ham, and Japheth and their wives, they went out and started populating the earth, and they all lived in, a, in the, what we know today to be the land between the rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates, where ancient Babylon was and so forth. They all lived in, in that area. Uh, these people began to live. In the fourth generation, they began to get away from God. When they knew God, they began to get away from God. And here's what it says about them. I'm reading here in 11.3. And they said one to another, go to let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they, uh, and they had brick to stone and slime they had for martyr. And they said, go to and let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. They did not want to be scattered upon the earth. And yet, when you read back over in chapters 8 and 9 of the book, just a few chapters before Genesis, the Lord, when he sent them out from the ark, he said, go out into all the world and, and uh, replenish the earth. All the animals were to replenish the earth. All the people were to replenish the earth. And yet they said, no, we don't replenish there. We're going to stay all in one big wad here. Now, you know the story. The Lord confounded their language. He came down. He said in verse 7, uh, he said, go to, let us go down there and confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. 
verse 9, therefore is the name of it called Babel or Babylon. That's where the word Babylon came from because they were Babel. In other words, hey, hand me a brick. And then all of a sudden his, lang his language was changed and he said, blah, 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 blah. And he said, you're babbling to me, you know. So that's where the word babbling. Everybody's babbling to everybody. But the language has changed called Babylon. Now, the reason I'm pointing that out to you is that when they knew God, they became unthankful. And they did not glorify God and they did not praise him. Now, this was the whole generation. This was the whole world at that time. And they began to get, and they went into idolatry and all kinds of weird, weird stuff. Now, there have been nations that have done that. There have been people that have done that. There's been the tribes that have done that. When they had a knowledge of God, they abandoned it and they went after things that were not the truth. So I'm pointing out these out to you so that you understand here. And they became vain. Look at the second one here. I'm going to point this now to this person here. And they became vain in their imaginations. Look at Ephesians 4.17 with me. Ephesians 4.17. I'm going to read this very quickly here. 4.17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. They became vain in their imagination. Verse 18. Having the understanding and understanding darkened. Having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. And then in verse 20 says, but ye have not so learned Christ. He's talking about them as the church, the Ephesians. So he's pointing out here how that men's hearts became vain and they became in their imaginations. And then, of course, their foolish heart was dark. And I just read the verse of scripture to you on that. Excuse me. Here. Now notice the little cloud above them, how that this begins light up here, a little darker, and as they begin to degenerate, or the, this is the degradation of man, as they begin to degenerate, the, the cloud gets darker and darker and they get more. And then they get where they think to themselves, I am so wise. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Look at 1 Corinthians. And this is chapter 1, verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 19, very quickly here. And this is where Paul talks about it. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the, the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. In other words, when they had wisdom, they didn't. They did not know God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Then down in verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, verse 25 here, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, verse 27. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, so that no flesh shall glory in his presence. Praise the Lord. And it goes on to show you on the chart there that I've given you, and that is that becoming wise, they thought they were getting smart, and they began to say, oh, there is no God. Next thing you know, they were building uh, their own statues and their own uh, 
their own idols and they were worshiping idols and becoming you wonder how in the world did man ever get into that they got into that because that's uh that's what god allowed them now i'm going to read one other verse to you here uh, i'm going to finish up reading here in romans 1 professing themselves to be wise they became fools in verse 23 and changed the glory of the uncorruptible god and and into an image made like into a corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And then it says, God gave them over to uncleanness uh, in verse 24. I'm going to skip very quickly here because my time is gone. I want you to look over to verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So God, praise the Lord, with his love, he wants to save us. But if men are persistent on saying, no, we don't want God in our lives, we don't want to know God, we don't want to serve God, we don't want anything about know about God, God will let them go their own way, and in the end, he will judge mankind. Can you say praise the Lord? God bless you. You've been a good class. Let's stand together, and let's just worship God and praise him. And ask God to bless now those that are coming in at this time. God bless. Amen. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Lord. Bless this class. Bless all of these that are here today. Thank you for the privilege to study the word of God. Bless, Lord, the morning service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Remain standing as our musicians come at this time. God bless them. Amen.